the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is produced and distributed through a partnership with AV Nation and Rave Publications. For more information, go to ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 23 for January 6th, 2012. Be berrific. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of AV news and information. I'm your host, Tim Albright. Uh, today on AV Week, we're going to be talking about a new 3D TV that doesn't need glasses. Thank goodness, because that's what I wanted, another 3D TV. Uh, the year of voice control and where you can find a Randy Klein from Crestron action figure. In case Santa Claus didn't send you one. But first, let's introduce our panelist, Michael Drainer. Uh, Michael is the Sound and AV Systems Manager of Tech Electronics in St. Louis. Welcome, sir. Hello. Also with us is Gary K. Gary is the founder of Rave Publications at ravepubs.com. Hello, sir. Excited to be here. Uh, Also with us is Phil Cordell. Phil is the AV Professional, the avprofessional.com or Hi-Fi. How are you, sir? What's happening, Tim? Thanks for having me. By the way, congratulations to Phil. He has just recently... Uh, be, not betrothed. Betrothed is when you get engaged. Uh, recently <laughs> married. How about that? I just won't try to do fancy words. So. Well, th- thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, all right. This week, this is actually from, from Gary's uh, Rave Publications. LG is going to debut a 55-inch OLED at CES next week. Now, before you get too excited and, and tell you know, the person that buys you presents that this is what you want for your birthday or for Christmas next year, um... <clears throat> It's going to be a little pricey. So, um, and, and the article goes on to, to kind of compare it to the first plasmas. And I think that's a great comparison because they, list, say, they say in the article the display is going to be expected about $30,000. And you know what? If I had thirty grand, i would buy this thing because I love OLED. I don't, I'm not a big fan of, of LCDs just in general, the, the technology and the whole bit. But I, but I love plasma. And so for me, Gary, we'll start with you. For me, plasma and OLED are a little bit similar in technology. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, without going into technical details, since uh, we'd bore the hell out of everybody, the, the basic difference that they'll notice is um, the black levels and the white levels, so the, the colorimetry of the OLED is closer to what you remember from the old CRT days and the and the, even the plasma days, uh, whereas LCD doesn't have the color gamut currently with the current light, uh, with the current lighting structure that's being used to, to handle a full range of color imagery. So OLED um, generates the light source and the, and the actual um, image is, is the same thing, so therefore the, they've got the ability to capture a much larger uh, portion of the color scale. Phil, is this now? You're obviously probably not going to go buy one and install one of these, but is this the first step that we? Because we've been promised OLED for years. I mean, yeah, we have. Sony had like a 13 inch that was like five thousand dollars, and that was just ridiculous. It was too small and too expensive. 
Not that thirty thousand dollars is is well within anybody's budget, you know, save you know Donald Trump. But is this like kind of our first steps into an actual marketable, you know, bring to market product? I absolutely hope so, man. I'm hoping that this is the panel of the future, and we're finally getting a decent sized glimpse of it. Uh, it's gotten a ton of coverage on tons of websites. I actually found Rave Pubs to be one of the most illuminating because uh, it was talking my language, you know, and, and those comparisons to the CRT TVs. Uh, you know, that, that really kind of shows off what, what we've got in store, what we're looking at, and those those rich blacks that we've all been begging for that we just haven't been getting, you know, we might get a glimpse of that. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked to see what happens at CES and see what people think after getting a, a hands-on look at this. All right, so, Michael, the OLEDs, they're, they're really pretty, and in my opinion, the best thing since plasma, because I don't like LCDs. However, the great thing about them and the stinky thing about them is that they are wafer thin. Now, that's great for, like, uh, displays and, and for digital signage. But when I go buy one, how thin is that speaker going to be? Or is it going to look weird? Because you have to, cause your speaker can't be wafer thin. Sure it can. And sound good? Sure. No, it can't. Haven't you seen ribbon drivers? Have you seen... But those I mean, are expensive. Okay, you're spending $30,000 on an OLED I'm display. $30,000 now... <laughs> Right. But in five years, I won't be. Okay, so the economies of scale are going to kick in on both points, right? As as the OLEDs continue to move into the market, their price is going to come down. Likewise, as they start moving more and more thin drivers and low-profile speakers, the market saturation is going to become greater and greater. Thus, cost is going to come lower and lower. So the economics are going to translate. So you think that the OLED are going to get married to ribbon drivers? Not necessarily. I'm saying that there are there's currently audio technology out there that you can pair with thin displays that sounds good, looks good. Um, Infocom this last year, you and I sat in the Sennheiser room with the K-Array demo. Oh, yeah. You remember the little, um, yeah, the, I little think the little lizards? Okay. Yeah. Amazing sounding little drivers. Take that up to the next level, right? They've got different sizes. That's just one example of one manufacturer that's doing some really great things with small format speakers. So it... Okay, so I, I guess I'm 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 worried about something that may not ever be an issue because they're going to marry this to a, a good exactly superstructure that makes sense for the size of speakers and all that. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. What you're seeing as a weakness is I, I actually see as a strength personally. You see it as a strength because you're thinking about the ribbon drive. Right. Crazy stuff. All right. Um, also on the call with us uh, just here recently is Julie Jacobson. Julie is the uh, one of the well. Are you the editor or the main editor, editor at large? What are you? You just call me what you want to call me. Um, I co-founded EH Publishing about 17 years ago, and I do whatever they tell me to do now. Um, <laughs> I spend most of my time um, as an editor for CE Pro Magazine and uh, doing other things for our business. And also conferences and stuff, and she's the one who did the uh, the virtual conference we talked about. Oh, fabulous. So, uh, next up, guys, is from Yahoo Finance. TV prices are falling. And this kind of uh, – basically, they're, 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 the, the Yahoo Finance is talking about um, the, the fact that, that prices for these flat panels are starting to fall consistently over the last few quarters. Uh, Michael, we'll start with you. Is this something where, as an integrator, you need to get getting out? I mean, Gary's written about you know not basing your, basis, your, your business on, on commodity items like this for, for a couple of years now. Where you need to get out of this business while the getting's good, or has the getting out already passed? We've been out of it for a couple of years now. 
Um, so you're we, smarter than me. Yeah, we provide displays as needed, uh, mostly in, in comprehensive system solutions where we're going to be warranting the entire project. But we have a lot of customers that say, hey, look, we'll go buy the display. You take care of the rest of the system. And quite frankly, I'm fine with that. Are you responsible then for the warranty of the actual product, or how does that work? If I provide it, yes. You know, we, we work but with the they manufacturer. If they provide it, it's on them. Yeah. So if we if we have a service call that uh, uh, comes through and it uh, ends up being a display issue, that's obviously a serv- uh, a billable service call because it didn't affect any of our warrantable items. So if I pound my fist on the desk and say you have to fix this because this is you put this in. And- oh, I don't install it. I'll put the mount on the wall, but then you're going to hang it. All right. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gary, is this is this an, an issue for guys who are still selling flat panels? I mean, if you've built your business around it, then you're an idiot um, because uh, Tell you me can't. How you with, really feel? <laughs> <laughs> you can't. You can't compete with Best Buy no. and, and the internet anyway. Now, and um, I, I mean, I think a lot of integrators have now treat, uh, rightfully so, treat displays as um, you know just another thing hanging off the network and um and and there are companies out there that are supporting the distribution channel that that are doing a phenomenal job doing so like like nec for example and christy who have flat flat panel displays that aren't readily available on the internet and sold through best buy um and offer you know their commercial grade displays that offer 24 7 365 there's applications that need those but if you're and rightfully so, you need to put in consumer displays in a lot of applications, then I agree with uh, with everybody here that, that you should let the, cons- let the customer handle that however they want to handle it. And, um, you know, I would still offer them an optional uh, proactive warranty on them right. uh, so that you handle it, so you maintain the relationship. But, of course, that's got to be at a premium. Exactly. Let me ask you this question, Gary. Um, Regarding the, the commercial displays, and we've had this debate many, many times in my office and with uh, uh, other providers what we have found is a lot of customers are willing to go with the consumer display, even in a high availability environment, because by the time they buy eight or 10 of the, the consumer displays, they've paid for the uh, the commercial display. And then then you've reached the life of the commercial display. What's your take on that? No, I think it happens all the time in digital signage. And, uh, you know, it's short sighted to believe that the display market is the anchor of our mar- of our industry anymore. In fact, if anything's an anchor of the industry, it's more the glue products like like the control system stuff. And the audio will never be con- truly consumer-based. I don't think, you know, you guys were talking about the r- ribbon-based audio systems for uh, displays, I think, or for OLED. I-, I think, you know, going back to that and relating it to what we're talking about, I think the big market for OLED in the future, and if you look forward to the kids that are in college now and when they're our age, they're going to have 30, 40 displays in their house. And most of those won't need audio. They're going to be using for displaying um, you know, family photos are going to use them for, for all sorts of things like that. So I think there's a huge market for, for very thin, um, flexible display technology that, that doesn't really have to worry about audio, much like laptops do now. They have, you know, four watt speakers in there and they're perfectly fine for what they're used for. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think there will be applications where you put something like that in a theater. And then of course you're going to, you're going to put a different, totally different kind of sound system in there. So it won't really matter. Is this ask this because uh, last week the, uh, the lawsuit was 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 uh, the, the uh, government sued a bunch of, of flat panel manufacturers because of collusion because of price fixing. Is this indicative of that? Is this story here and the fact that these prices have been falling was that kind of the flat panels the flat panel manufacturers I don't know uh, offensive move <laughs> before this ruling came down? But hey, you know what? 
we'll show you, we'll slash our prices. Well, I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is, the, as, as was discussed in the OLED story, the economies of scale have hit a point where if you're in the manufacturing business, the only way you can make money with flat panel displays is to make a, a ton of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and therefore, there's, you've got to keep cranking that out. And the only way to keep a production like that line moving like that is to either have partnerships where you're supplying tons of displays to companies who don't make a, a, anything like Vizio, um, or or uh, or be selling a ton of them under your own brand name uh, on your own, and uh, so I mean, it, it's just the way it is. So they just have to keep moving a lot of volume. So price is going to continue to come down. And you know, these we, we've gone from having you know one maybe one of these types of displays anywhere near us on a regular basis ten years ago to us having those types of displays in our pocket, in our back, in our backpacks and multiple ones of those in our offices and in our homes. So it, it, they're everywhere now. In the, in the end, though, collusion simply doesn't work. I mean, nobody's been able to pull it off, not, o, not even OPEC. So the government, <laughs> should, the government should just ignore it and, and let it run its course. Have you looked at the gas prices this morning? <laughs> no, they – it, it, we – you know, cartels worked for – quite some time and all the economists used to look at OPEC saying look they work they work and then they that collapsed basically 20 years ago so mm-hmm. um, we and we haven't seen a successful cartel really since so ignore it <laughs> as government should do with most things in my opinion I, I would agree, I would agree with that uh, from from electronic house what the heck let's keep talking about displays my favorite technology of all time when it comes to displays is 3D, as my tongue is firmly planted in cheek. So, <clears throat> the Stream TV plans glasses-free 3D product. Basically, we're talking about an auto-stereoscopic display. Um, I think that 3D is going to start waning this year. This uh, this article doesn't believe that. It's, it's um, from, uh, like I said, from Electronics, ha- Electronics House. Phil, let's start with you. Is an auto stereoscopic is a 3D TV that doesn't need glasses. Is that just for digital signage, or can you see a residential or even a commercial ver- use of it outside of, of digital signage? Yeah, I would love to see it outside of digital signage. And in that article, you know, it mentioned that this Ultra D technology could be used in tablets, PCs, picture frames, you know, on TVs at home. I mean, if we're going to get into 3D, then it's got to be without these wacky glasses. And perhaps this is just maybe, just maybe this is the technology that'll take us there. I mean, there's a lot to be seen about it, but we're all waiting for something really cool. And maybe this will be it, man. We'll see. Define all. <laughs> all but you, Tim. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, I mean, sorry. No, go ahead, Julie. 3D gets such a bad rap. And, you know, it's as if we are uh, demanding that our customers uh, watch 3D all the time. And, you know, that's just ridiculous. It's really cool if you want to watch a particular sporting event or a particular movie or you got the kids coming over. And it should be appreciated as that. And I think we're, we're going to start seeing more traction um, with especially 3D personal video cameras, 3D um, uh, still cameras and more personalized content. I think that's when we're going to have a lot of fun with it uh, uh, coming off the page. 
you see that that that's why I think it feels like that we're forcing, and not we as an industry, but I feel like the content creators are almost forcing us to watch three D twenty four seven. And I guess that's where my pushback from it comes in because I just I don't know. But that's for those of us who can even see three D. Yeah, Yahoo over here can't see three D. Well, I can't see anything, so <laughs> I'm sure I'm the oldest one here. So I, you're lucky you can see anything. Gary, is it? You, what is your take on 3D in general? The reason why 3D product sales are up in 2011 is they incorporated it as a feature in the majority of the displays that were sold. That's the only reason. People aren't watching 3D. People aren't using 3D in their homes. It's record low numbers in 2011 over even 2010. More people are watching in their home in 2010 with the, with a much smaller number of sets than they were in 2011 because the people that purchased them in 2010 wanted the 3D in 2011 it was a it was just a feature of the set they bought um i i do not think that personal 3D players are going to be popular uh, the, the manufacturers that are shoving these things down their throat are the ones that are the only ones that are shoving them down their our throat are the manufacturers that have turnkey solutions meaning they have the content meaning they make movies like sony um, and they also have the, the hardware, and then they have the distribution, as in own movie theaters, to show it. And that's why they're pushing it down your throat. It's not going to be popular, and it's not going to really uh, get, gain any traction until there's a technology that works seamlessly, meaning you don't have to stand in a certain place or sit in a certain place to see it right. Because current, the current technology now gives people headaches for long, if you're there in a long period of time. You have to sit in a specific place, and t- about 20% of the population can't even see it. So it, it just we're, we're, we're still a decade away from it really being mainstream, uh, even in the tablet market, being successful. I think it's kind of moot, actually. I mean, it, it was important to talk about when different manufacturers had different types of 3D, and most sets did not have 3D, and so people went into the stores to uh, demonstrate and to learn about 3 but you know every every decent tv has it now so it's becoming less of a thing to talk about whereas something like internet connected tvs there's something you can talk about there i mean the interfaces are different um the feature set is different um there is a reason to look at different types of ingredient technology versus 3d it's there and for the most part um you know it's it's even across different brands and products yeah, I agree with Julie 100. percent Yeah, and my other thing is, is is back to Gary's thing about the whole tone key solution. Nintendo tried to tried the 3D DS, and <laughs> at first was not very well received, you know, because it's you know, I, I could go on about this for another hour, but again, it, it feels like the content creators. Uh, are, throw, are, are shoving this down our throats. By the way, Philips is also going to launch at CES uh, glasses three 3D um, that that they're actually going to ship as opposed to just being a concept product. Oh, really? So you'll yeah, it's okay. a, we actually have the story on our website today, but you'll actually see it there at CES if you're going. See, a couple of years ago, LG had had one as well, and it, it was a strictly a um, a uh, um, display. Uh, you know, a, a, not content. Good Lord, I can't even think this morning. Um, strictly a digital signage solution, and there wasn't anything, you know, and it was it was some basic stuff, but it was auto, you know, it was glasses free, three D. So, all right, you're listening to AV Week with Gary K from Ray Pups, Julie Jacobson from CE Pro and EH, uh, Phil Cordell, the AV professional, and Michael Drainer 
from Tech Electronics in St. Louis. Uh, a couple years ago, Pico projectors were really great and really awesome and really, really, really cool. Uh, this comes from TechCrunch. Here is, in my opinion, the Pico projector killer. Uh, it is from a company called Sanwap. It is a micro projector for the iPhone 4. Uh, basically, it, it looks almost like um, those battery packs you can throw onto the back of iPhones to give them better, longer battery life. And it takes whatever is on your screen and it displays it. Now, this is not some, you know, it, you're not going to do 150-inch display, but it does, it replaces, you know, in, you know, again, in my opinion, these Pico projectors. Um, Julia, what do you think about this this iPhone projector? Well, I think it's fun, and I think the sad thing about most integrators is they think if it's sold on Amazon.com or at Target or Walmart, then it's not a, prod- a product they can sell, um, and I think it is. Um, you know, they sold Sonos. They sell, uh, increasingly, they're selling uh, earphones and other accessories, um, and I think this is a fun type of technology to add to their um, portfolio. Uh, it, and you know you can have one for each member of the family, two you know two per. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you can play Angry Birds on a big screen. So that's and that's <laughs> really the important thing. And I, you know, I'm glad you I'm glad you said it. Well, hey, can know. we can we just point out how adorable it is? Oh, I mean, yes. really, that thing is adorable. And you you just absolutely never know when or where a Q4 industry trend PowerPoint presentation is going to break out. So you got to be ready. You, you know, never because know. you, find, you never I, know. I find myself in a bar or a pub, and I just I'm hankering to show someone uh, <laughs> the latest home automation technologies, and I just want to get right. I just want to dive right into it. Mm-hmm. I will say, as an integrator, it, this technology does not scare me because if I put a fixed projector in place in a in a conference room, I mean that can be used by countless individuals. Uh, to me, this is probably really handy for the business traveler who might not know what to expect from his meeting environment. Mm-hmm. 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 But you know, this this doesn't scare me necessarily as an integrator. I think I think it's pretty neat. You know, I mean, think of what how you how you can muck with like uh, sports bars. I mean, what happens if you try to supersede what's on TV? What's on TV and project? Um, that, see, I can see the possibilities. What, what, was, what was the brightness on that one? I don't remember what the article said. Two hundred lumens. Yeah, Two hundred lumens. Yeah. So it's, I mean, there, there were some pico, still are some pico projectors that were like three. Right. Right. So it's not quite, you know, a, a great, you know, it's not quite destroying the pico market. But I thought it was a cute mm-hmm. little. No, thing. it's a neat little toy. I just want to put it I just want to put it in my little pocket (laughs) you know you know what I did think was a cool feature of it though if you turn the projector off it actually works as a battery pack for your iPhone so it will recharge your your onboard battery pretty happening I think really the story here is the continued domination of Apple products you know like what else can we do with this product you know Mm -hmm. where else can we take this thing right Mm -hmm. exactly Yep. All right. Well, uh, this is from. Uh, I'm sorry. Are you geeking up? Uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, the very geekiest uh, scientist on the planet, uh, just turned seventy. He is looking for a graduate assistant. And <laughs> this is this is really cool. Basically, the article goes on to ask, "Are you geek enough to be Stephen Hawking's graduate assistant?" But the, more importantly. Uh, this leads us into a, a, an article uh, written by Julie about home automation and people with ALS. 
And Julie, kind of take us through the article and give us, because this was written about a, a, a center in Boston where the technology that we all know and love and the stuff that we deal with every day has given people, you know, a little more freedom than they would have had suffering from this, this really nasty disease. Yeah, um, thanks for bringing, it up, bringing that up. That's one of my, um, that's the, I think the single story I've written in 17 years that no one yelled at me. Um, you know, it's hard to criticize on that one. Um, yeah, this is apparently the, the, the country's, if not the world's, only ALS living facility. Um, and there's 10 residents. There's also 10 uh, residents across the hall and, and MS um, uh, residents. And the, the 10 in the ALS facility are completely um, in, physically incapacitated. Um, they're... Um, some of them can't breathe on their own. Certainly they can't move or speak on their own. Uh, but the automation in the place allows them to move about freely. They can control their TVs and lights and thermostats and motorized doors. Even the elevator was rigged. And a lot of this uh, technology is off-the-shelf technology. In fact, um, the home automation platform being used uh, was born of a DIY uh, home automation system from from a company called Promixus. They were one of the early ones to make PC-controllable remotes. Um, and it's, you know, something as little as changing the channels is a really big deal for living independently. And um, as my, uh, my tour guide there uh, told me, you know, otherwise you're just sitting there, you know, waiting for a nurse or someone to come in to change the channel for you. So being able to control your environment with simple controls is really life-changing. Well, And this is one of those things where we as an industry get to better people's lives. Uh, one of the guys that's been on here before, Adrian Boyd, said, you know, is, you know, when he first got into this industry, his boss said, well, you know what, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not saving people's lives. Well, you know... <laughs> we're not saving their life, but they're making their, we're making their life a little bit better. Well, I, I beg to differ on that one. I mean, just, just as the automation systems are being used in um, this environment for people with impairments, we have fire and EMS groups that are using video conferencing technology mm-hmm, with triage mm-hmm. patients. I mean, we're getting ready to deploy iPads from one of the, the fire districts here in St. Louis into all their ambulances so that they can show real-time back to the hospital via video conferencing what's going on with that patient so the doctors can be prepared Seriously. as those patients are coming in. So, you know, AV technology is not just the neat stuff on the wall anymore. We truly are impacting and changing people's lives with this stuff. Yeah, we, we have a, a saying in our office, AV saves lives when it's installed in a hospital. Um, but it's, <laughs> seriously, it's, it's so ubiquitous, you know, it really is integrated into right. the fabric of everybody's life, you right. know, and it's, it's us being able to play our part in making our, you know, making mankind better and contributing. Right. It, it, it feels good to read articles like this from, a, from an integrator's standpoint, you know, because it, it reminds us that, that we are doing some good and making people's lives better. Well, and, and from my perspective, it shows us other ways that we can um, look for opportunities to give back. You know, it's it's uh, uh, my organization is really, really uh, big on the charity circuit. We've got several different organizations we work with um, for different runs and walks and things like that. We donate audio systems and things along those lines to help them out. But this seeing how uh, somebody has integrated a system into an environment to make somebody's life on a daily basis that much better. That just makes me feel really good about what we do and wants me to find a way to do it. 
makes us feel good about ourselves. Uh, you know, well, it's, it, it, it's somewhat it, self-serving, it's, but yeah, no, you know, it's not yeah. Just self-serving. I mean, it, it, it's legitimate. Yeah. But you know, in the same vein, think about it, we asked this on our LinkedIn page. I don't know. The conversation started about recycling um, gear that's been sitting in your uh, inventory, or that you're swapping out from a customer. And you know, what do you do with the stuff? Yeah, we you know we have a group home that just mm-hmm. opened right near us, and you know as soon as I swap out my TV, it's a great place to absolutely to, to send it. Yeah, those old Crestron systems in your back room here. Yeah, still right work. there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they still work. Yes. They still work. <laughs> yes, they still work. They just need someone to program. Them. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, you right, listen to AV Week with Gary K from Rave Pups, uh, Julie Jacobson from CE Pro, Phil Cordell, the AV professional, and Michael Drainer from Tech Electronics. Uh, this is the time of the show where we stop and say, hey, if you need a job, want a job, desire a job, even though you might have one, but don't like the one that you're in, uh, go to ravepubs.com uh, to the resources center, and that is where you can find all sorts of jobs and information for employment. And the AV Week job of the week comes from Extron Electronics. They're looking for an applications engineer. So when something doesn't right, doesn't work from Anaheim, I get to call you and say, hey, why doesn't this work? So no. Um, they're looking for someone who has excellent communication skills, attention to detail. Uh, they would like you to have a BSEE degree. And some travel is required. For more information, go to extron.com if that's not your cup of tea or it's not really what you want to do, but you want to get involved in the industry, go to ravepubs.com and go to the Resource Center where the uh, the jobs are, are listed there. So, uh, From EE Times, HDMI is surpassing DVI. Ta-ta-ta. And then I go, okay, yeah. Will you wake so. me up when this segment yeah. is done? <laughs> well, I, 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 I don't mean to be flippant about it, but this is like, okay, that was like five years ago. I, it was my assumption. <laughs> but according to this article, DVI is still was still viable at least for the next year or so, and, and they say it's, it's going to it's going to surpass it here in the next year. But Gary, why is DVI still around? I guess is my question. Why is HDMI still around? That's a whole other issue. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, DVI was the was the first and only digital video standard that existed on the commercial side of things and computer manufacturers actually Dell I believe was the first one to integrate it into their computers and there wasn't really a good standard that was competitive to it and then DisplayLink came uh, DisplayPort excuse me came came around and uh, and, and now there's something better that's out there that uh, that that people can latch on to of course HDMI is the consumer sort of digital video standard port connectivity port and uh you know it's not going anywhere in fact i i would i would um i would uh venture that you're going to see a hell of a lot more hdmi being integrated in computers than you're going to see even uh display port eventually or thunderbolt, thunderbolt. Yeah. <laughs> i had to throw that one in there no, you that's just silly <laughs> You should have thrown in FireWire. I have FireWire. <laughs> That's all you know, Interestingly enough, Apple sells more um, DisplayPort to HDMI adapters than any other adapter in, in their in all their stores. Mm-hmm. I so believe people, that people take DisplayPort out of their laptops and their PCs now and convert it to HDMI more than anything else that they do, even more than VGA now. Yeah, let's so, go switch uh, to uh, Thunderbolt to HDMI. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, well, it's the same connector. Right. Actually, it is. You, oh yeah, it is. It so, so if you have a current one, it'll work with the new one with the with the Thunderbolt. But, but still, it's it's uh, 
you know, HDMI is really kind of the standard. And the pe- reason why people don't like it, obviously, it's not a captive connector, but it does what it's supposed to do. Yeah, I really like what Extron's doing with a with such a simple little little piece, you know, yeah. where you can tie wrap and screw and give me a, a lock for my HDMI connector. Was that so hard? I mean, I'm really thankful somebody did that. Um, yeah. This article was really it was kind of playing up the DisplayPort versus DVI battle royale that's going down. Like two connectors go in, one comes out. Uh huh. So we'll see. Final countdown. <laughs> right. Wow. Okay, so let me ask you guys this question, because this, this, this has come up. Why is it that HDMI has kind of won? Is it because of the manufacturers? That's kind of what they, they kind of glommed onto, and with them and, and, and HDCP and, and the ACLCLA guys, is that why HDMI has won? Honestly, I think it's due to the increased integration of consumer devices into professional systems. Just because that's what we're buying. Yeah, that's what we're buying. It's what we're using, and and uh, you know that's what the consumers are demanding. So that's the interfaces that the manufacturers put on it. You've got to be able to adapt and, and adjust accordingly. So we did this to ourselves. Well, no, no. Are you no. asking? Are you asking why the manufacturers used HDMI, or why are we? Using oh, HDMI? that's what you're asking. Yeah, oh, I mean, okay, okay. Gary's right. You're going to see more HDMI connectors than anything this year. Yes. I mean that's just a fact. So why is it that they won? Because it's there. I mean, why is it that? Um uh, <laughs> I don't even remember what the format is. The tape, you know that tape. Beta and VHS, Betamax. VHS. Um, why is it VHS one? I mean, it is what it is, and people build the factories, and that's what they have. And it, you know, it's workable, and it'll persist for a while. The other thing is, you know, Hollywood uh, is pretty slow to move, and they're happy with the DRM built into it. And it's going to take a lot to make them happy with some other platform. And um, HDMI, I don't know if you're aware of this. I only just learned it because, you know, I don't know anything about video. I can't wait till you get to central vacuum systems in this segment. Um, <laughs> that, that's in two stories from here. Um, so HDMI, since the beginning, was basically run by its seven founding members and Silk Image. Um, so they just went at the end of last year to a more association-oriented format where all, you know, all the other manufacturers have been saying, you know, why are these seven big manufacturers making all the decisions when we're all doing the implementation? So they opened it up to a huge forum. Now there's like 70 members or something. And if things were slow to get done in the past, uh, just wait. <laughs> Actually, I I looked into doing something with H. I, I looked into becoming a member. I guess is the best way to put it. It's ten grand. <laughs> I mean, well, I was yeah, looking I mean, to get. I was looking to get the spec because we were we were talking about some HDMI stuff and, and some questions came up about the latest revision one point four. And I'm like, well, you know what? Let's 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 see. You know, let's see if we can't you know do some stuff here. Or I'll join. You know, I'll give them my email address or whatever. Uh uh-uh. uh They wanted ten thousand dollars. Just to get well, the spec. You, yeah, well, no, to become a member. To become a member, yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, you're going to be a, a manufacturer if you want to, for a member. I mean, I'm sure there's another way to get the spec. Yeah, you wait with everybody else. And I'm not that patient. Which I guess we'll I talk to. after the show. Okay, there we go. <laughs> yeah. I'll have I mean. a word. My, uh, my uh, business school classmate actually was one of the co-founders of Silicon Image. So Really? Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Very cool. 
Uh, actually, Julie wrote another article we're going to talk about. 2012, the year for voice control. It's a question, and I'll say, yeah. Uh, if you, anybody read the, the Steve Jobs biography, if you didn't, it's, yeah, it's a good read. Uh, in it, he says, uh, towards the end of the book and towards the end of his life, he was talking with the biographer and says, um, I don't like really how TV is ran. I wish that there was a more ubiquitous control, a more seamless control. And he says to the biographer, quote, unquote, I finally cracked it. Most technology writers you'll talk to about this specifically put that together with Siri that came out on the on the latest iPhone and says, you know, that that's where it's going is is Jobs's I cracked it is is integrating Siri into some sort of Apple TV. Gary, is that something that you ascribe to? And is two thousand twelve kind of the year of, of voice control? Well, I have to be really careful talking about this because I know some information. So I think I will not answer any of these questions. However, I will address her article and say that it's spot on that, you know, that even going back to the ALS and, and the automation helping uh, article, and the, you know, how home automation is sort of helping people at all levels. Um, you know, voice command is sort of the holy grail for automation. And, uh, you know, if you go back and watch Minority Report from 10 years ago, mm-hmm. You know, when Tom Cruise comes in his house and says, lights on, and, and uh, yeah, that's what everybody's trying to get to. So I, I definitely think that you're going to see, uh, uh, I mean, Siri's remarkably accurate. Of course, it looks really simple, but there's thousands of people behind it at Apple that are constantly yeah. plugging in uh, words um, as people start, you know, using it. And, uh, and you, you are launching onto a massive database that's being processed simultaneously on the internet as you're speaking to it so it's not like it's built into the phone it's a little bit more complicated than that however uh it, the way they integrated it make it look really simple is the beauty of how apple does things so i, I think it's a really good implementation well and julie not not to geek out and i'll take a little bit off what gary said minority port is one we had this in the six we were watching this in the 60s yep with, yep. with star trek yeah i mean it's it's um you know, whenever I write an article like this, and this is the first time I've ever come out and said, yeah, I think this is going to be the year. Um, and then I get these nasty grams from people like, you know, Home Automated Living and Home Seer. Well, we've had voice control for 20 years. <laughs> um, you know, it's been around forever. And in fact, it's been good for a good decade. And it's been used for a lot of industrial applications, military, um, hospitals. Um, but you know, a few things had to come together um, to make it really um, a possibility. Of course, the technology, the voice recognition, the speech and speech recognition technology had to be good. But the two other things are are one, the ubiquity of uh, microphoned devices, and we've never really had that. I mean, so now, now everywhere you turn, you've got a phone or some kind of device that can be held up to your mouth. Um, the other thing is, everyone looked stupid doing it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, there's that. I mean, it, you still look stupid, but everyone's looking stupid, um, <laughs> as, as opposed to you being the only one, right? I mean, and that's never been an issue for me. I'm I'm used to being You're the stupid. only. <laughs> dork. If we could use it while wearing 3D glasses, that would <laughs> yeah. be excellent. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Or uh, in in my uh, pajamas while I'm working. Yes. <laughs> But, you know, now people are used to it, as I, as I mentioned in the article. Um, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I 
<laughs> it won't stop. So fired, Michael. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the video Julie has posted on the article at the Scottish Elevator. <laughs> <That's> hilarious. <laughs> That is hilarious. You know, I've we've all seen so many, uh, you know, horrible you know, some jokes and YouTube videos of uh, speech recognition gone wrong. This one is really hilarious. <laughs> I, I urge you to watch it uh, either through our website or I think. Are you watching it? No, well, I was. And I didn't mean to hit it and it started playing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's really not, funny. Not um, just, not, it's not but, just Siri, though. You've got uh, the Connect. The Connect is not just um, gesture-based control. The Connect is also voice control. So it's not just Apple, and not to do an Apple versus Microsoft thing. Not where I'm going with this in any way, shape, or form. But I have been pleasantly surprised at the accuracy and the integration of voice in the Connect. So you, you've you've used it. I have, mm-hmm. and you, know, you you can access virtually anything on on the connect with voice now you say you know xbox do this and it, it's similar to, to siri it's not as sexy it's not as you know seamless but it does give you control and, and you can go to you know like i said virtually anything. you can i have uh, i have my netflix through through the xbox and you can say you know xbox go to netflix and inside netflix you can you can play um anything you want now the downside of that is is my five year old tries to mimic me and does it at the same time, so <laughs> it gets confused. You know, I did a. <laughs> this is going off the subject, but um, do you guys you remember? Well, not remember. They're still around. Home Automated Living. Mm-hmm. They're really yeah. one of the, they they had as their basis voice control for home automation, and I had one of the first systems. Must have been uh, fifteen years ago. And I had it installed in my house, and at that point, I don't know how it works now, but at that point, you set yourself a recognition word. It could be anything, a word or a phrase, to wake up the, the computer. And I had a roommate at the time, and my wake-up phrase was, uh, is Julie beautiful? And it would say, yes. And so it just drove her nuts when she would have to say, is Julie beautiful? <laughs> yes. That's great. <laughs> Anyway. Anyway. Well, this it will all come down to some t- some day we're going to be talking to robots and androids and you know. Speaking of robots, if I may, hmm? um, yeah. run, you have uh, one. We, well, we have no. We uh, EH Publishing run has a robotics division, and we run the Robot Zone uh, at oh. CES. Oh, very cool. And my understanding is that one of the exhibitors in the Robotics Zone. Is bringing Justin Bieber to the show? <gasps> Can you get me backstage passes? I don't know. I don't know. I don't believe it. I think it's true. Okay. Do you notice we're all jumping up and down here? Future rule for every other show: no mention of Justin, Justin Bieber. Bieber. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh, oh. What does the What does the robot look like? Oh, that's it. Yeah. He has the hair. He's four know. foot while seven. T- he has the hair. <laughs> while we're talking, I'll find out. <laughs> oh my! This, this is from. Well, this oh is from no! Brian. I just searched Bieber in my inbox, and there's like seven hundred emails. <laughs> no, no, no! Don't search the spam folder. Search the <laughs> inbox. <laughs> no, that's Hello? that's her correspondence with Justin Bieber. Oh, okay. Yes. yes. My inbox looks the same way, but it's all from fan club stuff. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, was too Okay, much don't ask him back. <laughs> uh, this comes from Fred Wilson. Uh, Fred Wilson is a, is a venture capitalist. He's um, been a part of some fairly successful, high-profile websites like uh, Twitter and Facebook and stuff. Fred is a technologist at heart. And it, on his blog, he writes about um, trying to watch the NBA, uh, an NBA game. And not to get into all the details, but basically saying because of, of, of con, uh, contract conflicts, you know, he couldn't watch what he wanted to watch, which he had paid for and this and the other. So, you know what? Fred's a technology guy. He went out and hacked it. And he got it, you know, pirated it. Not basically. He did. He pirated it and, and goes on to write in his blog about, about the experience and ask this question, which I'm going to ask to you guys. We'll start with you, Phil. Why... Why? When are content creators and content providers going to get it that we're not trying to be pirates? We'd love to pay you for your content. I will point to iTunes as one of the greatest examples of that. iTunes was created in the age of Napster, where Steve Jobs set up, st- stood on stage and said, I don't believe that everyone is, is a pirate. If we gave them an opportunity to pay for the content, they will. And there it is. Now, yes, there are going to be pirates, but by and large, I would say that people are decent people and they want to pay for their content. So when are these content creators going to get it and say, here it is in 15 different ways. As long as you pay for it, it's cool. But we're not going to start locking stuff down because we're still in the dinosaur age. Well, uh, this is Gary. Uh, th- this is a much. I mean, he's he in this article is blaming, I believe, Time Warner, if I remember correctly. It was a it was a contract conflict between Time Warner and Madison Square Gardens. Right. The, the, but see, he he's he's blaming the wrong person because Time Warner can't do a dang thing about that. As much as I hate cable companies, they they are only allowed to show their content a certain way through their own cable system, and and you know when they use another device, they can only use it a certain way. So. And they can't just give it to it. I mean, they, they're they're contractually obligated obligated by the NBA to show it a certain way. It's the NBA that's the problem, not Time Warner. Was it the NBA uh, or was it MSG? Well, see, that's a contract dispute between MSG and, and Time Warner, sort of playing a game. Well, you know, you give us money, or we're not going to give you the channel. Yeah. But again, that has to do with the NBA. That someone has to pay the NBA money for that game because ultimately NBA owns that game. So. He can complain all he wants that Time Warner made it difficult, or MS, you know, whoever MSG made it difficult. That's so not did. the issue. The issue is content. The, the way the contracts are written are is archaic. It, it, they all these these media companies are still living in the '90s, and they have not. They're not rewriting their contracts for the way people actually want to watch television now, which is. There's a new generation of people, not 40-year-olds, not 50-year-olds, not 60-year-olds, and not even most 30-year-olds, but there's a new generation of teens and 20-somethings that want to be able to watch whatever they want to watch on whatever device they want to watch whenever they want to watch it. However, they don't want to pay for it either. So they're sort of – I mean, I, total, I agree with Hollywood in some respect because they, they can't make the switch yet to totally allow everything to be streamed because the people that are wanting it streamed aren't willing to pay for it yet they're being loudmouths about complaining about the current structure that exists. But if the structure's changed, then they have to be willing to pay for it. So it's sort of a catch-22. I would push back on that a little bit because I think you have a, a, a segment of, of the population who's just beyond those 20-somethings who 
want are, are, are young enough to where they want it when they want it and, and all that jazz. But they're you know thirties and forties somethings that's, that that get the 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 fact that you got to make money you know to to live, and that they will be willing to pay for it. Well, then then le- then how come they're not subscribing to Hulu Plus? Well, I am. How, how come? <laughs> it, 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 most of them aren't. Yeah. And how come they're not buying TV shows from the iTunes store off you know using Apple TV? They, they again they they say they want to pay for it, but they then they complain when Netflix raises the prices a dollar fifty a month, or, and then yeah, they complain when Net, and iTunes raises their prices from ninety nine cents to a dollar twenty nine. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I agree with you, and I, I you know I would you know I, I don't know that that it really matters, but I mean, if this guy really wants what he wants, he should go to Directv. He'll never have a problem. Well, the, uh, can you hear me? Because I cut yeah. out for a while. Okay. Yeah. Well. Um, there's a bigger issue here, and it it it, it really spa- I, I totally agree, by the way, with what's been said. Um, but the bigger issue is that uh, when when people lose touch, or you know, when when the when the business people lose touch of um, you know consumer demand. So the the point of this article was, well, um, they're going to screw me, so I'm just going to look yeah. elsewhere to find material and it might be illegal and it reminds me of you know when the dvd cca uh shut down real dvd and real dvd could have been a legal way to a legal way to um download content stream content uh, video content, mm-hmm. and it's something that Kaleidoscape has been doing for years, and obviously is under fire from the DVD CCA. But when they crack down like that, the thing is, it's so easy to get products from offshore, like uh, any DVD, and it's probably illegal, and you have to pay for it, and that's money that could be going into the MPAA's coffers or the studio's coffers, and. You know, it's like they're forcing us to go that route. I don't want to go there. Yeah, I think that what has to happen, someone started out this whole discussion. Tim started out with what Steve Jobs did with with uh, iTunes Store. That's the same thing that has to happen. Yep. So, yeah. so it has to be, their, their, their cards have to be forced to be played. Because Hollywood right now, for them to go back and change every contract, I mean, think about how freaking complicated those contracts are. Because... They have to deal with, you know, they have to figure out how do I write a contract that Netflix can't get around, but more importantly, that Coinstar can't get around. Because Coinstar, if they don't like a contract, they can just walk into, literally walk into any Walmart, buy the DVD off the shelf, and stick it in all their machines and do whatever the hell they want when they want. They don't have to wait the, the 48 days to put it in their 49 days to put it in their machines. So the, the, it's it's amazingly complicated how they they have to deal with this stuff, and then not to mention the fact that that uh, Tom Cruise still wants to be paid for the movie he made twenty years ago yeah. that no one even knew was going to be available on a two inch screen inside of an an iPad. I mean iPod that somebody's walking around with. So well, I think uh, Gary and I both receive royalties. I think from articles we've written <laughs> yes. decades ago. So we understand right? what you do, what? Gary. Right. <laughs> We understand let, me, let me ask a question though, because we're, we're Fred, Fred Wilson's article was about a, a live event, and then this is the, um, this is a, an important distinction I'm going to make. 
I get what you guys are saying about about TV shows and about um, movies and stuff like that. But let's take the live experience. This is one of the things that that cord cutters, people who who want to get rid of their cable box, this is one of their sticking points. You know why they don't jump jump forward. And, and Fred found a way to stream, you know, the, the the NBA game he wanted to to see that he was going to watch on his cable box. But yeah. somehow, somehow the NFL again seems to be smarter than any than everybody else, especially in, in the live in the live world. Where this year on for the first time you can stream the Super Bowl. A couple of years ago, and they they had it where you could stream the Olympics. So how is it that that there are there is a segment of the, of these old guys in suits? who get it, and then there's this other segment who don't. Okay, so that's not exactly true. You have to pay for it. Okay. So you, if you, the way you stream it is you have to have the NFL ticket. You have to have already subscribed to NFL ticket, or you have to be a cable subscriber or a DirecTV subscriber that has the NFL uh, channel. Mm-hmm. And then you can put in your username and password and you can get it. Or the option is you can pay for it. So... And, and it's not cheap. You know, you're talking about something that's probably going to be in the range of five to ten dollars. So, but if you added that, if you added that five to ten dollar charge to everything that everybody wants to watch, people would be livid but, because but, they'd be paying more than cable. Yeah, but ex- except for the fact that w- one of the for me holy grails when it comes to this cord cutting thing is the ability to do just that. There, I, I have a, a cable subscription through Charter. There is ninety percent of those channels that I don't watch. I would be more than happy to give the ones that I do the same amount of money for content wherever I want it. Okay, well, that's what iTunes does. Yeah. So what are you waiting for? Why aren't you buying your shows from iTunes? Because it's $3 an episode. But you know what? I think, I think the key here is it's, it's about access, right? And, 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 yes. and, that, and that's Wilson's argument here is that I, I'm more than willing to pay for it. I'll pay for it wherever you want me to pay for it. But just give me access to it. I can't get it anywhere. You know? Right. And, and when you cannot get it, that's when, you know, when you cannot rip DVDs legally in the United right. States, then you go elsewhere. That's exactly right. Yeah, and this this guy was definitely an outlier in that he was a consumer with expendable income. I mean, he talks about going to multiple Knicks games, and and I think for people of my generation, you know, perhaps slightly younger, it 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 almost seems funny that he's like, so I put it on Twitter. Does anybody know how I can make this happen? And all of a sudden, people told me I could stream it for free. Like, you know, like big surprise there. I mean, that's that's something unfortunately that the younger generation is very very accustomed to. Uh, you know, and you really have to build some some artistic loyalty, I think, for the for the youngsters to get them to to buy in. Right. Uh, you know, and it seems like unless you've got ad based content, uh, I don't know that content producers are going to be able to consistently get paid, and and then nobody really likes sitting through ads anyway. Well, and you know that's the key, Phil. And going back to what Gary was saying about the thirties, forties, fifties somethings that yeah, we'll pay for it, and then they don't pay for it. Well, I think that's because we're coming on the back end of that generation that TV was free, you know, for all practical purposes. We had to we had to bear through an ad, but that's when you went and got your popcorn, you went to the restroom, you did whatever you had to do, and you came back when the ads were over. Then we went through the TiVo phase and the DVR phase. Now we just fast forward through the commercials. And so they're eliminating the, the methods by which we can pay for advertising, subsidize it through advertisers, um, 
and, and deliver it to the consumer for free. So now the consumer has to pay for it. So as we're going through that transition, I think it's going to be a painful process, but eventually we'll get to a place where that's no longer an issue. Okay, so here, here's an interesting thing, because Phil raised something, and I'm going to make a, an analogy here. He's like, you know, there's a younger generation who is used to streaming things for free on, on the Internet. Take that back 10 years. In the, in the mid to late 90s, there was an entire generation of people who were used to getting their music, albeit sometimes it was cruddy bit rates and stuff like that, but it was free music. You know, mm-hmm. it was Napster. It was, it was you know, uh, Kazaa. It was all the crazy, you know, Limeware, all the crazy little download services. And it took someone with, with some kind of vision and say, you know, here here's a way not to. Here's a business plan not to for the music industry. I think it's going to take something like that because you have the same thing. You have a, a group, a, a young, a group of young people who are used to getting this for free on the internet, and it's going to take someone with a vision and a passion for it to say, you know what? Here is a business model to make this legal. And, and it okay. can't, and it can't be that model that puts the chains on everybody's hands because all that does is cause the rebellion. But why not? iTunes has yeah. chains in your hands. Yeah, but hold on, hold on. This is a hugely complicated issue again because. You know, it, it, yes, I totally agree with you. And exactly what you're saying is exactly what Apple's doing. They're going to Hollywood, and Hollywood's pushing back. And the reason why they're pushing back is fairly simple. I'll give you a, a good example of that. ESPN la, uh, last year signed a contract to be able to show and own the display of all the BCS bowls. Wow. Right? Everybody's aware of that, mm-hmm. right? They paid billions for that. I think it was $2 billion, something ridiculous like that, over 10 years. Okay. That's a freaking 10-year contract. So let's say that, that Hollywood says, okay, this is a great idea. We should find a way to stream it. They can't stream it until ESPN decides how they want it streamed because ESPN owns the rights to it, even though it is the college football's bowl games. It's, and then multiply that times a gazillion. Every TV show has the same sort of thing. Somebody's buying the syndication of a TV show like CW buys a syndication of mm-hmm. of, uh, of a TV show that's uh, you know that's run 200 episodes. They own that syndication. They don't want just to make that streamable. They want you to go to their channel. So then when people say, "Well, I want to watch it by streaming," they have to wait until either that contract runs out, which is a you know multi-year contract, or they have to find a way that CW is comfortable with allowing that syndicated show they just paid millions of dollars for to be available in a way that they didn't plan on it being available. So, it, so it's it's very, very complicated. Because of the num- number of people involved. Right, and the fact that these actors, the directors, the producers, and everybody else involved gets paid every single time it's shown. It's, it's very different than music. With music, the industry imploded, and somebody came in and saved it, and really the only people that needed to get paid were the, at- the artists, the distributors, and their agents. Whereas with Hollywood, every single freaking person involved in a TV show has some piece of the pie. I mean, people still get paid for Gilligan's Island, God, for, God, you know, for God's sake. Imagine how complicated this contract is now compared to the contract they negotiated in the 60s when they made Gilligan's Island. But that makes me so, happy, the fact that the professors are still getting money. So I, I, my point is, it's, it's, I totally agree with you. I hope that, whoever said that, I hope you're joking. <laughs> that, that was Tim. <laughs> He doesn't know what the professor did. But, but no, I I mean, I agree with you, but this is a very complicated issue. And even if it does ferret out, um, you know, one of the things that Apple's going to do is Apple's making a bid for um, English Premier League soccer. 
to be the exclusive distributor of English Premier League soccer, meaning the only way you'd be able to watch it is through an iPad, an iPhone, or using an Apple TV connected to your television. Wow. That's a, ge- that's a genius idea. That because is brilliant. Then, that, so then what you do is they go, then they go to the NBA, then they go to the NFL, then they go to whoever else they want to go to, and they've got you know $112 billion in the bank, so they can do it that nobody else can. So that what they could do is they could, you know, that's a way to get everybody on their format and then go back to Hollywood after the fact and say, okay, everybody's using us for live stuff. Now what about all your stuff? You know what? I hope so, they do because... And then they're going to host it all on the Apple Cloud service and but no, you know, just, I the, hope they all do the because, shows. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I'm a Chicago Bears fan living in St. Louis. The equivalent of being you know a Cardinal fan living in Chicago. And it's, it's not you know hellacious, but most weeks I don't watch the Bears because they're not on. You know, the stupid Rams are. And I would love something like that because I'll guarantee you that they'll have some sort of, not a la carte, but you know what? Here's the NFL package, and you you, know, you go to your whatever channel on your Apple TV, and I get to watch the Bears whenever I want, which is all that, I want. DirecTV <laughs> has that now. Yeah. Yeah, but I have to pay for the whole thing. It is. <laughs> I, I, here's what I want. Here's what I want because the the NFL has this uh, the center ice package where you pay for for your team. That's what I want. Is I I want to pay for just the Bears. So yeah, anyhow, I'm ready for a la carte television. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of Mr. Jobs, uh, this is comes from CNET, which leads us into an interesting and more interesting article. But uh, there is a Steve Jobs action figure <laughs> with with. Uh, his wireman glasses it even comes with an Apple and an iPad and an iPhone. Um, but this led Julie to... Well, I, I, representing the women in the industry, yes. I would like to know if it's anatomically correct. Probably not. <laughs> and just, just like if, any other doll. If I may interject, yes. uh, hearkening back to our conversation about Justin Bieber... Uh, teen heartbreaker Justin Bieber will be on hand at CES from 1 to 3 on January 11th, pimping out some robots, specifically a brand new entertainment robot by Vietnamese electronics maker Tozy Robotics. Uh, apparently, RoboNexus, which is our publication, reports breathlessly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how one can infer that from reporting but mm-hmm. I guess we reported something breathlessly it's sad, it. that, it's sad that that will probably be the biggest story coming out of CES it will be. It, yes, well, we'll yes get, I will you know I'll have written this uh, great milestone story and it'll get three page views and then uh-huh. Bieber will get 100k <laughs> yes all right guys I appreciate it that's uh, that's gonna be, be it for us uh, with us today is Michael Drainer from Tech Electronics. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome. Thanks the, for having me on. The newly married uh, Phil Cordell, the AVProfessional.com. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Huh? Uh, Julie Jacobson, she is the CE, the editor at CE Pro uh, and, and other things at EH Publishing. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. And I just, uh, I think this is airing Monday. Yeah, it'll uh, post on Monday. I just posted a story on where you can find home automation at uh, at CES because it's kind of here and there. So okay. you can find that now at CEPro.com. Excellent. And then, of course, Mr. Gary Kay. I, I want to say this because this is the first time I've had Gary Kay, Gary on um, since this happened. But thank you, uh, seriously, in all sincerity, um, that um, he and I have, have done a partnership and where uh, all of our audio is at ravepubs.com forward slash avnation so thank you sir you're welcome I appreciate being on and I've had a lot of fun today this is a lot of fun to be on with these 
these awesome people here. It's a little crazy. <laughs> but no, seriously, <laughs> you can find Gary is the founder of Brave Pubs. Go to ravepubs.com. Uh, so, and I'm I'm Tim Albright. I'm the Yahoo who does this. So, go to uh, Rave Pubs. R A V E P U B S dot com. Ravepubs dot com forward slash AV Nation. That's where you find this show and a ton more. Uh, from House of Worship to DIY to live staging, a, a ton more shows. So go to AV, uh, go to ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. Uh, I appreciate it. Take the time to, to, to listen to those. So that's all the time we have for AV Week. Oh, 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 oh.